Brilliant. So I am, uh, my name is Andy Higgins. I'm from uh, Cambridge, not originally. Uh, originally from the north of England near Manchester. Uh, I've been in Cambridge for nine years. Uh, those of you who haven't met me before, hello. Uh, I've been there uh, as a teacher in a secondary school, uh, part-time, three days a week. I'm a science teacher, and uh, I've also been pastoring at the church in Cambridge, uh, going through, through the youth group, then as an assistant pastor, now as pastor, under, under Pastor James Pete, who's the lead pastor there. And uh, it's a pleasure to be here again uh, to share the word of God with you this morning. So we are in Acts chapter 6, and um, can we get that down a bit? It's very echoey. That'd be great. Thank you. We are in Acts chapter 6, and um, really what we're going to do is we're going to take a, a snapshot uh, of the life of a man called Philip. Philip, who we find in Acts um, in quite a few different places. And, and what we're going to talk about, and the title for today is A Life of Service. A life of service. And what I want to do first before we get stuck into the word is just to pray and to dedicate this time to God that he may speak uh, to us this morning. So we thank you, Lord, that we get the opportunity to meet here this morning. We get the opportunity to uh, hear from your word, to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be convicted, maybe be, to be chastised. But Lord, you desire that your body be built up. You desire that your body to be effective. To, to, to represent you here on earth, to serve you well. And Lord, that's our desire this morning, that we may learn something that would help us to serve you more effectively here on this planet, that we may make much of your name, we may magnify the name of Jesus to glorify you among those who do not yet know you. Lord, stir our hearts, remove any distractions, remove any preconceived ideas or notions, Lord, that we may hear simply from you what you have to say to each and every one of us by your spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So if I think about service, really when I think about service, I think about esteeming others higher than myself. Uh, to serve one another, that's, that's a good thing. And to serve God, that's a great thing. And Philip, who we find in the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, he was a man who exemplified this. He lived a life of service. He lived a life dedicated to Jesus. He was fully surrendered to the will of God, and he was fully obedient to the word of God, fully committed to the cause of the gospel. He was a disciple. He was someone who was a hard worker. He went from city to city to city simply proclaiming Jesus. And every opportunity, he looked to represent Christ. You know, Paul writes about being an ambassador for Christ. And if you're an ambassador, what that means is you are representing a higher power or a higher authority on foreign ground. And the job of an ambassador is always to point the person back to the one that you are representing. And we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we also are ambassadors. We are representing him in a very foreign land. Always looking to point people back to the one who has sent us. I believe, and I hope you do too, that this man Philip lived a life worthy of our attention this morning. He was a humble man of faith who changed the world 
everywhere he went with a very simple message. And that message was Jesus. Philip never overcomplicated the message. He never added to the message. He never took away from the message. He simply preached Jesus. And this Jesus that he was preaching, the one that he represented, he himself was a humble man. He himself was a man that changed history. It was Jesus who said of himself that he came to seek, that is to find, and to save, that is to deliver the lost. The Jesus that he represented is the one that said of himself that he came to serve and not to be served. Jesus is the one who told his disciples, his followers, that you should walk in my steps. You should follow the example that I am setting. You should be an imitator of me. And Jesus is the one that said that if you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will do what I say. This is the Jesus that Philip represented. This is the Jesus who ultimately demonstrated his humility, ultimately demonstrated his submission to the will of the Father through the cross at Calvary. In the greatest act of service this universe has ever known, Jesus hung upon a cross for you and for me. In humility, he stepped from heaven to earth. Fully God, yet he took on human flesh. He lived a sinless, perfect, blameless life. He was betrayed, he was mocked, he was whipped, he was beaten, he was scourged, and he hung upon a cross. In service to you, in service to me. And what he asks of us is that we represent him. Philip represented him. I do what I can in my life to represent him. And I pray that you also would do all that you could to represent him. It should be our desire as disciples of Jesus to represent him well. And I think we can learn from Philip's life how to live this life of service, how to live this surrendered life, how to live as an ambassador. So what we're going to do, we're going to take four lessons, four snapshots from the life of Philip. And we're going to learn, hopefully, how we can live this surrendered life, how we can live this life of service. And we're going to start in Acts chapter 6. And the title of the first section is Qualifications for Service. So some context is really important here. Uh, at the beginning of Acts, we, we have the birth of the church. The church is growing, literally multiplying at this point. The apostles were preaching in the power of the Holy Spirit. Souls were being saved. People were repenting of their sins and being baptized and being baptized in the Spirit and doing the same in leading others to Christ. Things were going well in the growing church, in the early church. But in verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Now in these days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists, because their widows were neglected in the early distribution. I find it interesting because like in any movement today, in any ministry today, just as it was with the early church, where there is growth, there is going to be opportunity for disunity. There's going to be opportunity for division, 
And we see this here as complaints were arising, as people were moaning and groaning. Two separate groups divided over the time that was given to their widows. And the solution came forth from the twelve. It says they summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it's not desirable, these are the apostles, it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and to serve tables. The solution to the issue of the disunity of the church was to appoint people to serve in the church. It was needed that the apostles could be focused on prayer and teaching of the word. And as we go down, I want you to note that prayer comes before teaching. The leaders of the church were to be given over as men of prayer, first and foremost. Men who spent more time with God than with the people that they were serving. More time receiving from the Lord their daily bread so they could go and feed the others their daily bread. That was the priority of the apostles. And so they appointed here seven servants, seven administrators, seven people to watch over the, the, these widows. This is where we get the word deacons. And they were helping so that the ministry of the apostles would be unhindered. So that the work of the church would be unhindered. But please note that both roles were necessary for the advancement of the church. The apostles must pray and preach, but they need service to serve so that they can pray and preach. But what that says to us is that all service, all service in God's kingdom is highly valuable. Whatever you do for the body of Christ is highly valuable. Whether it be serving coffee in the morning, whether it be doing the sound desk or ministry through worship or prayer or the kids' work, everything that we do for the body of Christ is valuable. Because like a body, the human body, anatomically, if one part of the body doesn't work well, the rest of the body won't work effectively. And so if the body of Christ has sections and parts that aren't functioning in the right order, in the right capacity, then the, the, the church body as a whole will not be able to function properly. And so if we look at the qualifications here for service, verse 3 says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. First thing I want to say here is, is that we are all called we're all called to serve the body of Christ in some capacity. Church is not a place for consumers. Church is not a place where you come and simply receive and go off and live your life. That's not what the body is there for. Church is a place where we are all called to serve in some capacity. Uh, and we read here that firstly, these people should come from among you. And that's kind of obvious, it's kind of common sense. You're not going to appoint someone to serve within the body who's not a part of the body. And so it's really wise for us to check the hearts of those who wish to serve. To check whether or not they are seeking God. Whether or not they are truly servants of Jesus. Secondly, it says they must be of good reputation. Here it's speaking of 
godly character and godly conduct. We're looking for people to serve in the body of Christ who are truly committed in the pursuit of holiness, who are truly committed to be men and women of the word of God. We're looking for people who are completely given over to the work and ministry of the church. What I find quite encouraging is this. He doesn't say, and they don't say, find the people that are really good at organizing. He doesn't say, find the people in a worldly sense who are incredibly successful. Because the God that we serve doesn't look at the outward appearance. He looks at what's going on within the heart. He looks at the character of the person. And it should be the same as we bring people into service within the church. It doesn't matter who they are out there. It's their heart and what they want to do for God that is important. No doubt these men, these seven men, were already faithfully serving in the church. Service in the church is not about receiving a title. It's not about receiving a position. That should come after if it is to come at all. We should all be seeking to serve our God. Thirdly, it says that they're full of the Holy Spirit. Full of the Holy Spirit. What that means is this. They must be under the control of the Holy Spirit. And what that means is they must not be under the control of anything else. Culture should not be controlling them. The narrative of the world that we're living in should not be controlling them. Their their desires should not be controlling them. Their wants should not be controlling them. But the Spirit of God should be the thing that is controlling them. Under the authority of the Word of God. Essentially, they must be normal Christians. Must be born again, Spirit-filled Christians. Loving God and loving others. And it says they must be full of wisdom. Now, wisdom is just that applied knowledge. You know, we are to live out this Christian life. Jesus, he washed the disciples' feet. And they said, you should go and do likewise. Live out what I have taught you. The ones who serve should not be self-centered, self-focused, but they should be others-minded, esteeming those higher than themselves. And the result of this is fantastic. It says in verse 5, the same pleased everyone, the whole multitude. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles. And when they prayed, they laid hands on them. Look at that. It's really important. They were appointed, prayed, and then anointed, and then they began their ministry. And then the word of God spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of priests were obedient to the faith. The result of this appointing of these, these deacons, these servants, meant that the apostles could do what they were called to do. Which was to spend time in prayer and to preach and teach. And look at what happened. The church grew. At, at the beginning of the chapter it said the church was multiplying. Here it's multiplying exceedingly. It's going above and beyond what it was doing because the body was working effectively. When the body serves the body well, the church operates in power. We're all members of the body. And so when we serve the body well, the church will operate in power. And I guess to relate this to you in your context today, are you a consumer? 
Are you simply coming to church to feed, to grow in yourself? Or are you a servant? Are you desiring to give back to the body? Are you desiring to honor others higher than yourself? In, in replication of the humility of Christ. You know, if you're new to this church, then I would encourage you, if you don't yet know your role, ask someone. Ask someone where you can serve. Maybe you'll be out in the car park so that I don't get lost. Maybe you're making coffee, putting signs out, doing the worship, doing the sound. Whatever it is, we are all to play some part in the body of Christ for it to work effectively. Now, if we look at the second snapshot of Philip's life, he's just a servant, remember? He's just been appointed as a servant, and that's it. But the second section, the second snapshot is entitled Representing Christ. Representing Christ. Turn the page over here in the, in the Bible. We're in Acts chapter 8. And we need to look at the context because stuff has been happening in the early church. The church has been growing exceedingly. And the fruit of growth is always going to be persecution. The fruit of growth in the church is always going to be persecution. And this is something I think we can think about in our context as well as individuals. Because whenever we are growing in the Christian faith, whether it's in our personal holiness, in our prayer life, in service, whatever it may be, whenever we are growing, Satan is going to come against us. Where there is growth, there will be persecution. That happens as as much individually as it does corporately. Because Satan is not interested in the dead churches. Satan is not interested in the dead churches. The churches where there's no spirit, where there's no life, where there's no word. Satan is not interested in inactive Christians. So if you're facing persecution, good. It means you're doing something. It means you're active in your pursuit of Christ. Because where there is growth, there will be persecution. Between chapter 6 and chapter 8, we have chapter... Good, just checking someone's awake. (laughs) Chapter 7. In chapter 7, we have this incredible story of Stephen. Stephen was just one of these men serving tables, full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And yet he stood firm upon his faith in Jesus. He did not back down on what happened. He was killed. He was martyred. He was a witness for Christ. But if we look in verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, Saul, who was there as Stephen was murdered, was consenting to his death. And at that time, a great persecution arose against the church. It was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Persecution came from growth. But look at what persecution led to. The persecution of the early church led to the scattering of the disciples of Jesus, which led to the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Persecution is hard. Persecution is painful. You may feel isolated. You may feel rejected. You may feel like there's no one in the world that knows how you are feeling in that situation. But persecution brings with it opportunity. Persecution brings opportunity for you to be Jesus to someone else. 
Wherever that be in the way you're acting and responding to that persecution. Wherever that be the way in which you rely upon Jesus in that situation. The world is watching you. When you proclaim that you are a Christian, the world is watching you. And when you're in a place of persecution, it brings with it opportunity to be salt and to be light. Look what happens here in verse 4 of chapter 8. Therefore, those who are scattered went everywhere preaching the word. They weren't fleeing for their lives. They weren't looking for somewhere to hide. They went, and as they went, they proclaimed Jesus. How incredible that God used Saul, this this terrorizer of the, the church, to actually spread the gospel. Before he was ever Paul, before he ever had that Damascus Road experience, he did much for the kingdom of God. That should be an encouragement for us if we are in a place of persecution. That it will bring with it opportunity to be Jesus. Even when you don't feel like being Jesus. Even when you don't want to be like Jesus. It will bring us an opportunity. It will bring us an open door. And so we find Philip here in Samaria. It says he went down to that city in Samaria and he preached Christ to them. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that the relationship between the Samaritans and the Jews was not a good relationship. In fact, rarely would a Jew ever go to Samaria. And yet here we find Philip. Why was he there? He was there for the sake of the gospel. The gospel that supersedes prejudice. The gospel that supersedes race. The gospel that supersedes all things brought him to that place. And as he arrived, he simply proclaimed Jesus. He came as a herald, just speaking the message of Christ. Turn me to to 1 Corinthians if you have a Bible, because this this message has never changed. It's never changed, and, and we need to be reminded of what this message is. Because the message of the cross and the message of Jesus is not about our intellect. It's not about our wisdom or our success or our standing. It's all about him. Paul here writing in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to this church in Corinth that needed a whole lot of encouragement. Lots of correction. But in verse 17, we come to a section where he's, he's saying it doesn't matter who baptized you. He says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. For the message of the cross is foolishness. How many of you have been mocked for your faith? For your trust in a man called Jesus? It's it's a message that is foolishness to many. Especially those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. How many times have you been sharing with your family 
with your friends uh, and someone says, well, I just, I just need to know myself. I need to have an encounter for myself. I must see something for myself. I must meet Jesus for myself. Or how many friends or family do we have who just simply argue with all the knowledge that they have, all the intellect they have, and try and brush you aside like you yourself know nothing. But we, we preach Christ. Christ crucified. You don't need any qualifications to share that message, do you? We are all in a position where we can preach Christ. Where we can share something of the love of God. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Uh, And then at the start of chapter 2, Paul says this. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech, or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The simplicity of the cross. Sharing the gospel. The fact that Jesus Christ died for each and every one of us. He took our sin, He took our shame. By His blood that was spilt for us, we've been cleansed, we've been washed, we've been purified. That is the message of the cross. We do not have to be filled with excellence of speech. We do not have to be filled with worldly wisdom. We simply need to preach Christ and Christ crucified. This is Paul the Apostle. He says, I was with you in weakness, in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. How many of you feel like when you get into these situations where you're representing Jesus, you just don't know what to say or how to say it? You feel like you're stumbling over your own words. If we take ourselves out of the way and simply tell them about Jesus and how Jesus has changed your life and how you know the love of Christ, that's enough to open a door. This is Paul the Apostle. I always imagine him coming to church and just shouting at people. But here he is saying that he, he came in and he was, he was afraid, he was trembling, but he knew within himself that the only message he could bring was Christ crucified. You know, if we look at the result in Samaria, back in Acts chapter 8, it says the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. They listened. They took it on board. Hearing then and seeing the miracles which he did, remember, the, the signs don't come first. They accompany the faithful teaching of the word of God. Uh, and the people were set free. Miracles were done. In verse 8 it says, there was great joy in that city. Persecution of the church led to the gospel spreading. Led to one man, remember this is just a servant. He's just a servant preaching. And there was a mini revival breaking out. Because of his faithfulness to the message of the cross. And we in our sphere of influence have this ability to stand firm. To take a stand. Uh, This week on Thursday I was in a year 11 lesson. And some of the boys thought it would be really funny to draw a cross on the neck of one of the students. 
And then they were joking, saying, Ralph, is, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? So I stopped and said, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. And unless he's your Lord and Savior, that's blasphemy. And I said to these year 11 boys, is Jesus your Lord and Savior? And they just sat down. Now we all have different spheres of influence, but we can all stand up for Jesus, can't we? We can all stand up for the one who paid the ultimate price for us. We stand on the message of the cross of Jesus Christ. And so then for the third snapshot in the life of Philip, we're going to go to the end of Acts chapter 8. And think about this, the ministry in Samaria was thriving, okay? Philip was at the epicenter of this revival. People were responding to the gospel, they were being saved, they were repenting of their sin, they were being baptized, baptized in the Holy Spirit. The apostles, they came down to make sure this was a legit work of God. And then look what happens here. He's in the epicenter of this revival. And an angel of the Lord, verse 26, spoke to him saying, Arise and go toward the south along the road which goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. And so this third section is entitled, The Spirit-Led. Because imagine what he was receiving from this angel from God. I want you to leave where you are in the midst of success and where you're the one who's at the middle of that. And I want you to find the most loneliest of roads and I want you to walk down that road by yourself into a wilderness, into a desert. And I just wonder, did Philip at any point question God, have you got this wrong? I am where it's all happening. It seems illogical for me to move myself when all of this is taking place. And yet I really think we can learn here from the obedience of Philip. To lean not on his own understanding, but to trust in a God who is sovereign and who knows best. He heard the message he was attentive to the message. He, he, he responded. He received it and he responded. It says in verse 27, he arose and went and behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who had charge of all the treasury and had come to Jerusalem to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot. He was reading Isaiah the prophet. I mean, this was an undesirable calling. This is not what Philip would have wanted to do. How, how many of us have ever felt God leading us to a place where we just didn't want to be? Or into a situation we did not want to be in? And yet when God speaks, we must be obedient. We must listen and we must do exactly what he says. Now just some background about this man that he was about to meet. This eunuch. He, he was powerful. He was a man of position and a man of authority. He was a man of real wealth. He traveled hundreds of miles to get to Jerusalem to worship God. He was seeking God. That's what he was doing. He was searching for answers and he was searching for truth. I'm sure we know many people in our lives who are on this same spiritual journey. Who are looking for a revelation. Who are looking for an answer. 
But, but this man, this eunuch, clearly he was returning and he was discontent. He'd not found what he was looking for. He was still searching through the scriptures to find the answers that he couldn't find in Jerusalem in all of the religion, all of the prosperity that he found there. He couldn't find the truth. And so Philip comes along and says, the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah and said, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. Here we, we have this, this prompting of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't say how he heard the Holy Spirit speak. It doesn't say it was an audible voice necessarily. It doesn't say it was an impression on his, on his heart or his mind. But he was prompted. And we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And if we are aware of that, on a day-to-day basis, we can be in a position where we are also prompted to go and talk to someone. And as we've been walking through Cambridge many times, and I do feel a prompting to go and buy some food. I always park in the same spot as I'm going into Cambridge, and this one day I was like, I need to buy a sandwich for someone. I, I didn't know who it was for, but I bought a sandwich for someone. And as I was coming back, th- there was just a homeless man there by the cash machine. I sat down and I talked to him. I gave him a sandwich. And you could say that's just coincidence. You could say it's just Andy being a nice guy. But then there have been moments when I've been walking and, and, and I have a prompting to talk to someone in particular. Where you just feel this urge within you that you have to talk to them. And you have no idea why, but you know you have to. At school, when I'm talking to the kids, there are moments when I, I, I just trust and let the Spirit guide me into conversations with students that, that shouldn't happen in a science classroom, but do about purpose and meaning and, and Christ. But it's about being aware of the voice of the Holy Spirit. And it's then responding in complete obedience. And I think there are two struggles here. One struggle is this. We struggle to hear the Holy Spirit. Because there are so many distractions in the world in which we live in. There's so much information, misinformation, and disinformation that we often miss the instruction of God. And so we need to remove all that extra garbage from our lives that we can just simply hear from him. I think the second struggle is this, is to be obedient. When we actually hear God prompting us to actually follow through. Many of us perhaps are fearful. Many of us are perhaps worried about what we might say if they ask a difficult question. Maybe we're just apathetic and we just don't want to. Or we're so happy and content in our own little bubble that we don't want to step out of our comfort zone. But look at what Philip did here. He literally ran. He ran. I'm sure this this chariot and this caravan of people weren't going that fast. He could have walked and probably caught up with them. But he ran to overtake them. And as I was was looking into this and reading this week, one person suggested that he wasn't running to overtake the eunuch, but he was actually running so that by the time he got there, he was at this specific section of Isaiah 53. These specific verses that speak of the lamb who was slain. 
sees it. And so he runs ahead, and we have this incredible divine appointment. Philip could have argued, why take me from the multitudes that are being saved into a desert just for one man? But let me tell you, to God, one man is worth it. One woman is worth it. One child is worth it. And not only did this impact this eunuch and probably those who he was traveling with, but then he went back and affected a whole nation. And a church there was born also. All because of one man, Philip's obedience. I, I want to bring out an important point here, which I think uh, many of us fall into this trap. We need to meet people where they are at. And the biggest thing that that requires is something us Christians aren't always that good at. And that's listening. How many times have you been in a conversation with someone who is not saved, not a believer in Christ, and you go, this is my opportunity. You get all of your information and you just throw it at them and just hope that something will stick. You talk about doctrine and theology You bring out all your big Christian words. Instead of just listening to them. Instead of just hearing their heart. Instead of just hearing where they are at in their spiritual journey. You see, Philip, he arrived and he was listening to what was being read. He was listening and he responded with a question. He said, do you understand? Do you get what you are hearing? Imagine if Philip had arrived and just started preaching at him, telling him all the information he'd learned over the years. He arrived and he listened and he asked a question. And then he just waited for this response. The eunuch was reading Isaiah 53. It was probably being read aloud to him. It said he was led as a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shear is silent. So he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask you, of whom does the prophet say this? Of himself or some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began, beginning at this scripture, preached Jesus to him. I don't think many of us have a situation where we arrive and the door is this open. This is an open door. This man is literally asking for the answers. But this is all God orchestrating this. Isaiah 53 was this brilliant starting point to talk about Jesus. But I guarantee you in any conversation you're having, no matter the context or the content, you can bring it back to Jesus. I challenge you in that this week. Find yourself in a conversation and try and steer it towards Jesus. We had someone come to church recently, uh, unsaved, wife was a, a believer, and he's all about evolution. All about science and knowledge. And as soon as he found out that I was a science teacher, he had me. And we were talking for 20 minutes and it was a good conversation, but, but there was nothing fruitful. And then at the end, I said, listen, you've been here today at a church, and you've heard about a man called Jesus. 
All of the things that we've talked about really are irrelevant. The only thing that's important for you right now is who do you say Jesus is? And after this long conversation, I I got him to leave. And he said he was going to read the Gospel of John. I said, what you need to do is you need to read the red letters. Just the red letters. Just learn about Jesus. But in every situation, in every conversation, try and steer it back to Jesus. He started in Isaiah 53 and he preached Christ. And then for this eunuch, there was this light bulb moment. There's this light bulb moment where all the pennies seem to, to line up and he, he realized this man's got it. This man has it. But if Philip hadn't opened his mouth, then he would never receive the gospel. It says, now as they went down the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, see here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And the answer said, I believe that Jesus is Sorry, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so he commanded the chariot to stand still. And both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and he baptized him. The gospel was explained. The gospel was received. It was accepted. It was believed. And the eunuch asked, what next? And no doubt, as Philip was sharing, he talked about Pentecost, where Peter was preaching, full of the Holy Spirit. And the multitude were cut to the heart, and they said, what must we do? And the answer was, repent and be baptized. And so in obedience, this eunuch saw some water. And by the way, where were they? In the desert. And they came across some water, no coincidence. And he said, I'm going to get baptized, because I believe that Jesus is my Lord. And I want to proclaim him before everyone around me. And I want to challenge you today, if you are not baptized, then my question will be, why not? If you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior, then why would you not step out in faith and obedience, which it is obedience, and be baptized? An opportunity to publicly declare your faith in Jesus. An opportunity to to declare that you love God more than anything else and he did it this man did it and then they came up out of the water the spirit of the lord caught philip away no idea what that looked like so the eunuch saw him no more and the eunuch went on rejoicing but philip was found at azotos and passing through he preached in all the cities till he came to caesarea there's this parting of the ways the eunuch he left rejoicing why Because he knew the truth. Because he knew Christ. And then we have Philip going in the opposite direction. And he went from city to city. And he was a traveling preacher. Remember, he was just a servant. No different from you or me. Changing the world around him. We have to be available for the prompting and leading the Holy Spirit. Removing all distraction. And then we have to be ready and willing to follow in his direction. And so we come to uh, the fourth snapshot in the life of Philip. And uh, this is entitled Finishing Well. And we are finishing. 
hopefully well. We are finishing well. And we find Philip almost at the tail end of his ministry. The tail end, maybe even, of his, of his life. And, and Acts chapter 21 is, is on one of Paul's missionary journeys. And verse 8 says, On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the evangelist, who was one of the seven, and stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. This was perhaps 20, 20 plus years on from our last encounter with Philip. Much had changed within the church, but this man had planted himself here in one city. And I want you to think about this. His title, his title was his reputation. That's what he was known by. This man, Philip, throughout his whole life and ministry was known as this, Philip the evangelist, the preacher of the gospel. He was simply known for the cause of the kingdom of God. And it does make me wonder, what's my reputation? What's my reputation? What am I known for? And then for you, What's your reputation amongst your colleagues, friends, family? What do they know you for? What do you stand for that they take note of? And then it makes me wonder as well, what am I going to be known for at at the end of it all? When I come to the end of maybe my ministry or my life, and maybe for you today, what are you going to be known for? He was known for the fact that he was an evangelist. He was a proclaimer of Christ, nothing else. The second point from this section is this. And this is encouraging me to me as, as a dad. Philip was a man who led his house well. Philip was a man who led his house well. Not only was he a servant in the church, not only was he a preacher, a minister, an evangelist, he was a good shepherd of his own flock. He was a good shepherd of what God had put before him. He was a good steward of the blessings that he'd received from God. And whether you're a parent or not, that applies to you. Are you a good steward of what God has given you? Are you faithful with what he has put into your hands? And every time I read this and I talk to my wife about this, we've got two daughters and uh, she said to me, we've got two more to go then. I said, no. Well, maybe, God knows. But four daughters does sound like a lot. But look, there are four daughters who clearly have a relationship with the living God. Clearly love Christ. And clearly in service to Christ. We don't have an idea of their age, but they were prophesying. They were clearly communing with God. And so just to finish up, our faithfulness with God's calling, and we are all servants, are we not? Our faithfulness with that calling will not only impact our life and the world around us now, but it will impact the next generation. And it will impact the next generation until Christ returns. If we are faithful in what we have been given. Four questions to consider this afternoon. One, what role are you playing in the church? 
What role are you playing in this church? You are a member of the body of Christ who has a function. So what is that function? If you know it, do it well. If you don't know yet, pray. Talk to the leadership. Second question, are you in your current sphere of influence representing Jesus well? Are you an ambassador for Christ? Third question, are you being spirit-led? Or do you have too many distractions in your life? Do you need to, to trim down the noise so you can hear Jesus? And the fourth question, are you being faithful with what God has given you? Whatever that might be, whatever you are stewarding, are you being faithful with that? Philip was just a servant, but we can't use that word just. He was a servant of Jesus. We are servants of Jesus. We are to be surrendered to his will and we are to be obedient to his word. Amen. Lord, we thank you for this man, Philip. We thank you for the way in which he, through what is recorded in your word, can teach us of the life of service. We thank you that even though we may be struggling, there is always opportunity to share you. To live in such a way that will change the world around us. When we look at this man, Philip, all he did was talk about what he knew. And he knew you. So Lord, I pray that as we go into this week, we will be bolder to share our faith. We will be bolder to stand firm when the world is, is coming against us. Lord, not for our sake, but for your glory. And that world around us might be changed. We pray this in your name and for your kingdom. Amen. Oh, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.